Get your Bibles, Book of Acts, the Church on Mission. If you've been with us, we've been walking through the Book of Acts since the beginning of January under this the premise, this title of the Church on Mission. Okay, and so if you've not been with us or you want to catch up, you can do that somehow on the internet. I'm sure Facebook or the website heritagecommunity.org. Look at past sermons. And uh, then you get caught up with this. We're not going through every single verse of the book of Acts, if you've noticed. Um, we're we're kind of hitting some, some certain passages that will help us get a pretty good glimpse of what the church was doing there at the very beginning of, of Christianity, if you will, the first church, and, and using this title, the church on mission. So as we look at these stories, we're seeing how the church was on mission. Luke, yes, that Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, that same guy wrote the book Acts. Okay, so the same guy that wrote the book of Luke wrote the book of Acts. This is kind of like part two of his story, okay? Part one was the life and death of Jesus, and part two is, is the life of the church and what was going on, okay? And so today, the title of this message is The Church on Mission is a Great Commission Church. The Church on Mission is a Great Commission Church, okay? I hopefully will share enough with you today that I can prove to you that a church cannot be on a church on mission if they're not a great commission church. Okay, so I don't want to assume that we all know what the Great Commission is, although I think some of you will think this is familiar. But we find the Great Commission, what we call the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, okay, and verses 19 through 20. Now, this is working for right now, so if it goes in and out, don't freak out. It'll be all right. Um, I will say, because that's not working, I don't have a clock. So, but um, usually I don't have a problem with that. So, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus has, has been risen from the dead, and, and he has spent some time with his followers, and now he's getting ready to, to go back up to heaven, to sit at the right hand of the Father, and before he goes, he tells his buddies and those that are around, he says, listen, this is kind of the last thing I want you to know, he says, go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them, like we did this morning, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, teaching them all the things that I taught you so they can live in my ways. And behold, he tells them, encouragement, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's the Great Commission. And whenever, if you have a name for a passage, you know, like the Great Commission or whatever it is, you should memorize those passages. Those are important. So I didn't, I'm not the one that made it up the name, but someone a long time ago did. So that's an important passage. That's the Great Commission. And today the title is The Church on Mission is a Great Commission Church. It's the kind of church that's full of people that take this command from Jesus seriously. Okay, we don't try to pass it off onto Sid. Okay, we don't say, well, if God really wants them to know Jesus, he'll make sure that they get the message. No, they take seriously this command of Jesus to go and to make disciples, to baptize them and to teach them all these things so that they can live in the ways of Jesus. Okay, but we're not a church on mission. We're not a great commission church if we just say that we are. Okay, if I put it out there on the sign, hey, we're a great commission church, that does not make us a great commission church. If we put it on the website, really cool and fancy, that doesn't make us a great commission church. If Sid is the only one that goes out and shares the gospel message, we're not a great commission church. He's just a great commission pastor. Are you with me? So if you want to be part of the Heritage Community Church family and we want to be a great commission church, we have to take seriously this command of Jesus. 
So our passage today is going to be hopefully familiar to some of you. And if not, you're going to love it because, man, this is an amazing story. Acts chapter 9, probably the most famous conversion of all of church history. Okay? I see some of you nodding. You already know where we're going. You already got Acts 9 memorized, one of your favorite passages. Let's dive in. Verse 1. Teenagers, you with me? Okay, don't fall asleep. I promise. I talk fast. You got your Bibles? Got your journals and papers and, and devices? Okay. Acts 9, verse 1. The teenagers are tired. They've been gone all weekend, but they're, they're going to hang in there for me. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue. Synagogues, think like house churches, okay? When, when the temple was kind of taken over and, and all of Israel had to be spread out and everything. They couldn't go to the temple. And, and so the synagogue, house churches, okay, synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, that would be the, the way they were describing these people that were following Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Whew. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, by name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Remember, Jesus is already back up into heaven. So he's speaking from heaven, but he's speaking out loud, and he knows who he's talking to. He called him by name. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city... Go on into Damascus, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless. They heard the voice, but they saw no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. Blinded now. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Verse 10. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision by name, Hey, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Ananias is not excited about this commissioning. Verse 13, but Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard of this guy and how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Isn't that cool? Brother. First kind words Saul ever heard from the church. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes. Luke was a doctor, by the way, so he knew. He was speaking 
doctorally here. Scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Can we pray? Father, whoa, what, a, what an incredible story of conversion. Man, many of us remember uh, Saul's past and obviously what he was hoping to accomplish on this business trip of his, and yet you interrupted that and changed his life forever, and we're so grateful. Father, this morning, would you do business with us? If we are on our way in denial, in rebellion against you, Father, blind us. Help us to see you, turn our face toward you, to live in a new way. Rescue us, Lord. Teach us your word. Help us to understand it correctly today. Amen. There is so much, you know, you could take from this, this passage that we just read. And you've probably, if you've been in church a long time, you've probably heard it preached quite a few times. So we're going to keep this simple today, teenagers. You still with me? Okay. Two main points that we're going to take from this passage. Number one, the church on mission is a great commission church because God desires everyone to be saved. Okay, so when you write that down, make sure you do caps lock on your iPad for everyone. God desires everyone to be saved. Amen? If you remember how bad of a person you were before you were saved, you're saying amen to that. We can look at this conversion of Saul and actually see both of the two biggest hurdles to becoming a Christian sometimes. And, and, and for our part, if we're already Christians, we see two of the hurdles that we sometimes have to cross over before we'll actually share the gospel with people. The first one is this. It's the person that says, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And if you're a Christian, you, the reason you might not share the gospel with this person is because you go, they're not good enough. They'll never change. You ever said that in your heart? Man, that person needs Jesus. But I don't think they're ever going to change. I hope somebody really powerful will come along and share the gospel with them. Or if you're not yet a believer today, you say in your heart, I'm just not good enough. You don't know how many bad things I've done. We see it both ways here with Saul, in my opinion. Consider this first, Saul's state of mind at the time here in chapter 9. Luke has already mentioned him three times. If you just turn like one page back, you'll see at the very end of chapter 7, every time Luke mentions him, by the way, it's, it's, it's as a bitter opponent of Christ in his church. He tells us that Stephen's martyrdom in chapter 7, verse 58, the witnesses, the ones that were going to stone Stephen, they laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then in verse 1 of chapter 8, listen to what it says, after they had stoned Stephen and killed him, chapter 8, verse 1 says, and Saul approved of his execution. And then in verse 3, okay, so the, the church starts to scatter now. They're like, okay, they're killing us. We got to go. And in verse 3, it says, but Saul was ravaging the church. Listen to that language. He was ravaging the church, entering house after her house, and dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now Luke then, he interrupts his story of Saul and he tells us about some of these people that are coming to know Christ because of, this, because of all the Christians separating and going out. And, and last week, remember, we talked about Philip and the Ethiopian. He jumped up in his, in his carriage with him and talked to him about Jesus. But then in chapter 9, Luke picks up this story of Saul and listen, verse 1 says, But Saul, still breathing threats, and murder against the disciples of the Lord. 
This is the same Saul at Stephen's stoning. He had not changed. Same mental condition of hatred and hostility against Jesus and anyone who wanted to follow in his ways. That's who Saul was. I mean, I don't know about you. You've probably done some bad things. I know I have, but I've never been present at the stoning of a Christian. And I was like, yeah, good. Hit him again. That's who Saul was. He wanted to kill the Christians. He wanted to imprison them. And yet, for some reason, God chose this guy. I mean, let's, let's get it straight. Saul didn't wake up one day and go, you know what? I've been wrong. It's time for me to choose Jesus. That didn't happen. Jesus miraculously decided to choose Saul. Isn't that a good, that's a good thing. Amen. So if you're thinking today that maybe, maybe uh, I'm not quite good enough, I want you to know you're in good company. No worries. You're going to love this. Saul, I mean, even in the middle of on his way to arrest Christians, God arrested him. A good song. I mean, isn't that great? Threw him on the ground, said, hey, Saul, you're persecuting me. Saul must have been really confused because these people that he was so angry with, their God, Jesus, he actually believed that Saul was persecuting him. He was so connected to those that follow in his way that when someone were to persecute them, they were actually persecuting Jesus, the Lord. Hmm. So the first, the first hurdle that we have to get over when trying to come to the Lord is this idea that I'm not good enough. And as believers, when sharing the gospel, when being a great commission church, we can't ever look at someone and say he or she is not good enough. They probably aren't going to listen to me anyways because look at the way they live. We can't live like that. We can't make those decisions. God chooses. The second one, though, is this. It's the person that says this. I'm already good enough. And that's scary. Or as a Christian, we might look at someone and say, man, they're probably a Christian. I mean, they do some pretty good things. I don't think I need to share the gospel with them. You know, the gospel is really for bad people. I mean, they go to church, you know, and they're kind, and they're probably a Christian. So this is almost even more dangerous. I'm already good enough. I mean, let me be clear. Saul, he was really sincere about following God, the true God, the God of Israel. Okay, I think he said Pharisee of Pharisees, okay? I mean, he, he followed the law as well as anyone. He was probably aware of the coming Messiah. I mean, this guy, he believed that he was righteous. But there's no way that this, the status, the career, and the teaching of Jesus would in any way conform to Paul's idea of the status, career, and teaching of the coming Messiah. It was completely different, so it threw him off guard. He wasn't ready for that. And in his mind, this, this man, Jesus, he could not be the Messiah because he had been crucified. I mean, a crucified Messiah is not a Messiah. Are you with me? That's what Saul was thinking. And these, these, these Christians, these people of the way, they were going around telling everyone that the old was gone, the new has come. That's what Stephen was saying before they killed him. And Saul, for his part, he's saying, oh, whoa, 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 the old has to stay. This new stuff is gone. Because I believe in the law and God, creator God. Okay? Saul believed that he was righteous. He believed the mission that he was on currently was a righteous mission. He believed that these people were trying to, to tear up the pages of the Old Testament. 
He believed that, that they were trying to say, we're going to follow this man named Jesus. This man, Jesus, who had been killed on a cross. Jesus' death would fit in line with, with, with uh, Deuteronomy 21, where it says a man hanged on a tree is cursed by God. How can the Messiah be cursed by God? Of course, we know Jesus was cursed for our sake, but, but Saul, he didn't understand that yet. Are you with me? So he was, he was thought he was good enough. Thought he was good enough. In the same way, some of you, boy, you're, you're resting on your good deeds. You've never had this personal experience with Jesus Christ. You say, man, I give every once in a while to this thing or this thing. I even have a Bible. You know, I, I show up at church on Sunday mornings. You know, I, I, I be nice to people and do all these things, and I don't do this, 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 or that, or whatever your list is of things that you think you're not supposed to do. And you think, I'm good enough. I'm good enough. Some of you, you've lived years fooling people into thinking you're a Christian. I remember when I became a Christian. I was 15. Now, I don't know if many of you heard that story or not before. Maybe you have, but um, I was a pastor's kid. And my mom was a minister of music at the same church, okay? And, and they were on staff together for years at this church where I grew up. And so I was the pastor and, and minister of music's son, okay? When I was in the youth group, I mean, I was the, the leader. I mean, all my friends came, okay? I went to youth winter retreats and youth camps just like you guys. And I had the Christian t-shirts. And everybody assumed I was a Christian, I mean, why would I? I was a pastor's kid. How could I not be a Christian? I mean, I knew how to act. I knew way more answers than most everybody else. Even some of the adults didn't know all the answers I knew. I'd been growing up in my dad's home. And, and one night at youth camp, guys, I was 15 years old. How many of you are 15? Some of you are close to 15. I was 15, just like you. And this guy, Ken Freeman, was preaching at this youth camp. I'll never forget him because he was this guy. He was probably like mid-50s, but he had a cool haircut, and he had a cross shade in the back of his head. And I thought, man, that guy is cool. And he started preaching, and, and I probably didn't listen to a word he said, okay? But at the end, the time of invitation, are you with me? God started doing something. And this guy, Ken, he started talking. He said, you know, some of you kids out there, you got everybody fooled. He goes, you might be the pastor's son. I was like, hmm? <laughs> he might be talking to me. Kid you not, he goes, you might be the minister of music, son. I was like, okay. You know, like somebody told this guy to say that. You know, somebody's messing with me. But by the time he got done talking, man, I was broken. And I go, I know. I don't know Jesus. I know about him, and I know how to act like I know him, and I know all the good answers to the other people will think I know him. And I can walk in the doors every Sunday, and everyone would assume that I'm a believer, but I had never known Jesus. I had to go find my youth minister. There was, it was like 1,500 kid camp, big camp. I had to go find him in all this mess because he was probably, you know, sharing the gospel with someone who really needed it. And, and I had to sit down. He's like, hey, man, what's up? Probably thought that I wanted to go get a drink or something. He, I was like, and I just started crying and at 15. And I'm, I don't tell you, I don't cry, okay? And at 15, and he was like, man, what's wrong? And he was thinking, like, did I do something wrong? Am I going to get fired by his dad, you know? <laughs> and I said, man, I don't know Jesus. I don't know. I don't even know why I went to him. Because, honestly, I knew what I needed to do. But I needed to tell somebody. 
I needed to tell the people that I had been fooling, that I didn't really know Jesus, that I didn't have my salvation wrapped up. And that night, Jesus saved me. I was 15. No doubt in my mind, because things began to change. A great commission church is a church that is that desires, that understands that God desires to save everyone. Everyone, no matter who you are. No matter who you are. But I would challenge you today then, if you've been fooling people, if you've been faking it, but you've never had that encounter with Jesus, may today be the day where he changes your life forever like he did for Saul. Okay? This is number two point, okay? The church on mission is a great commissioned church. Number one, because God desires everyone to be saved. Number two, God's plan is for Christians to be his agent in proclaiming the gospel message. I'll say that again. God's plan is for Christians to be his agent in proclaiming the gospel message. Saul is here walking down the street and all of a sudden falling to the ground. This huge light from heaven comes. He hears a voice saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I'm Jesus. But then he like cuts it short. Does you ever recognize that? Like, why didn't Jesus just at that moment go, you need to put your faith in me, forget this stuff you've been doing, go find this water over here, get baptized. And, and then, because remember, Paul says later on that Jesus was the one that taught him all these things. Why didn't he just do it right then? Instead, he's like, you're blinded. Now get up and make your way to this house over here, and then I'll tell you what to do later. I mean, it, it, it totally... Totally, I don't understand this, because Jesus has his attention right then. He's blinded. He's talking to him. He's talking back. He knows, everybody knows who, this, who, we, who each other is in this conversation. But Jesus stops, and this is why. Because God's plan is for Christians to be involved in what's going on. Because then he goes, he goes, hey, Ananias. Who knows who Ananias was? But he was a believer, right? I mean, hey, hey. I got this guy over here. He's ready. And Ananias is like, oh, no, not that guy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Look, he, said, he says, what's he doing? He goes, his name is Saul, okay? He's on the street called Straight, okay? And he's at Judas's house. I mean, he knew everything about Saul. Isn't that amazing how the Savior knows this? Okay, he knew where this guy had been, what he had been doing, where he currently was, what street, what house he was in, what he was doing. He said, he's praying right now. He's praying. And I already kind of told him in a dream that Ananias is going to come put his hands on him. Okay, it's, it's all set up for you. All you got to do is get your butt up and get over there. <laughs> Ananias says, okay, and so he gets up and he goes. Listen what, listen what Jesus said to Ananias. He says, verse 15. The Lord said to him, because he was saying, no, 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 not him, not him. Go, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. God's plan was to use other people to make sure that his gospel message went to the whole world. Are you hearing me? Last week, I mean, the same thing with the Ethiopian eunuch guy riding along his carriage. Why didn't Jesus just go, hey, Ethiopian guy? You know, you're reading Isaiah. That's about me. My name is Jesus. Obviously, he does that because he did that with Saul. My name's Jesus. Great to meet you. What you need to do is put your faith in me, jump in this water, be baptized, and become my disciple. He didn't do that. Instead, he gets him reading Isaiah, and then he goes, hey, Philip, Philip, 
got this Ethiopian guy over here. He's reading Isaiah right now. Get over there and tell him what it's about. Philip ran over there and jumped, and jumped in the carriage with him, and he tells him, and then they go get baptized. Because why? Because God's plan is to use people like us to share his gospel mission. That should get you so excited that he would use you to do that kind of thing. Do you understand me? And do you, do you hear the thing? He's already doing the work before you get there. So whenever we're fearful and we go, man, not that guy, not that girl, if you feel like God has put you in the presence of someone that needs to hear the gospel, trust that God has already done the work to prepare their heart to hear it. All you got to do is get your butt up and get over there and do it. I'm telling you. There's this one pastor he told, I think it was supposed to be funny. I'm not sure it's funny. I'll let you decide. He said, Jesus ascended to heaven after his mission on earth. The angels asked him, hey, Jesus, did you accomplish your task? Yes, said Jesus. All was finished. And then the second question the angels had for him, oh, well, has the whole world heard of you? And no, said Jesus. And so the angels, you know, they said, well, what, what's your plan? And Jesus said, oh, well, I left my 12 buddies and some of their friends on earth. They're just going to tell the whole world. And <laughs> you thought it was funny. The, the angels said, well, what's plan B? <laughs> and I'm here to tell you, friends, there is no plan B. There is no plan B. God's plan is to use people like us to share the gospel message. Teenagers, hear me. God's plan is for your friends to come to know Jesus through you. Through you. And some of you go, oh, no, 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 don't, not him, not him, not her. I can't talk to her. No, Jesus is saying, look, I'm already doing something in their heart. Okay, I'm already, I'm already working in them. I just want you to get up and get over there and tell them what you know. And so I don't know what to say. I was going to say, just say John 3.16. I mean, everybody's got that memorized. Just say, I don't know why, but I just came over here because God so loved the world that he gave his only son and that whoever believes, even you, can have eternal life forever. I just thought you needed to know today God loves you. And I really don't know anything else. I just know that God loves you and you need to know him. And then if they ask you a question, go, that's a great question. You put your arm around them and you bring them to my house and I will, and I will help you figure it out with them, okay? You know my house is a safe place. You put your arm and bring them over and we'll figure it out. Or they might ask you a question like, well, have, have you done that? And then you go, well, yeah, I did, I did. And then you tell them your testimony. You tell them your testimony. You tell them about how God changed you from the person that you were and then he began working in your life, and you became the kind of teenager that follows Jesus' ways. And that's not real theological. It's just a personal answer, personal story. Man, that would go a long way with teenagers and your friends. Y'all trust me. Saul was God's chosen instrument to carry his name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now, I want you to know, Saul didn't understand this job um, to only be for him. So if you're sitting there going, well, I'm not Saul, so, you know, I'm kind of, I, I kind of don't have to take this on as my mission. My name's not Saul. Jesus didn't blind me on the Damascus road. I'm, there's no verse that says, you know, Jerry is, is, is my chosen instrument, <laughs> okay? But, but Saul didn't think that. In fact, when he began writing letters as he went out and did this job, it was his expectation that those people then would go out and continue to do it. Okay, that's how it's supposed to work. Every time someone gets baptized, it's like adding someone to the team who can now go out and start sharing. 
It's like our numbers are supposed to be getting bigger, okay? In Romans, Paul writes to these guys, and in chapter 10, he says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching it to them? How are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? You know you love this if you're the person that shares the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. He wrote another letter to these guys. They're called the Philippians. In chapter 1, he's talking about the fact that he's in prison. And he says, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me, being in jail, has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. People were hearing that he was in jail because of his belief in Christ. And he goes, this is a good thing. Why? Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. See, he was expecting those who then heard about him and his belief in Christ to then go out and share the gospel with other people boldly, without fear. He wrote to these dudes called the Ephesians. Chapter 6, Paul's talking about putting on the whole armor of God. Do you know that passage? The whole armor of God, you got to put on a helmet. And it's very cumbersome. But the shoes, the part of the armor of God, the, part of the, the shoes should make the believers ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. When you put them on, it's so that you can run and get involved with someone who God told you to go to, so that you can share the gospel of peace. Are you with me? If you don't have your gospel of peace shoes on, how are you going to tell someone the gospel of peace? You've got to put on the armor of God. It's our job as Christians. If we're going to be a church on mission, we have to be a, a church that is a great commission church. We don't get to just throw that aside like it's not a commandment for us, that it's only for really spiritual missionaries or, 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 or lead pastors, you know, or people that are really serious. They've been Christians at least, you know, at least a certain amount of years. It's not me. We can't believe like that. We can't listen like that. It's our job. When, when, the, when the kids were really small, there was a book. It's actually a series of books called My Favorite Verses series. I don't know if you all know about that. If you're a parent with little kids, you should get these books. Anyways, there's a picture here. This is the title of one of the uh, books that I remembered. And I tried to find it this morning. I couldn't. But it's called I've Got a Job to Do. And, and some of the words, listen, do you remember that? Do you remember that book? Come on. Let's see. Let's see. Do you remember that book? You know. You. I shouldn't have asked y'all. All right. <laughs> anyway, Dandy Mackle, I don't know if I said that name right. She's the author. One of, the, one of the, this book says, Jesus loves the world. The Bible tells us so. Now he's back in heaven and tells us, go. People need a savior. Tell them God loves you. So I've got a job to do. I knew you remembered it. <laughs> if I walk to school or I ride the bus, I can tell my friends, Jesus died for us. If the driver asks, I can tell her too because... I've got a job to do. What a great book. Maybe everybody needs to buy this book. You know, sometimes these children's books are the, are the best books for adults to read because they say it in ways that are easy to understand. we got a job to do, people. we got a job to do. God's plan is for you and me to take his gospel message to the entire world. Okay? 
period. Here's the ending. Christians in here today, you got to know that. God desires everyone to be saved. Your neighbor, the co-worker that drives you crazy, your brother-in-law that, that burns you on that deal, okay? Everyone. The kid who's in your kid's class that bullies your kid and his entire family, God desires for their entire family to be saved, okay? Every action and word that we do as Christians either helps that or hurts it. And number two, it's your job to do it. Quit waiting on someone else to do the job that God has given us. Now, if you're not yet a believer, teenagers, adults, whoever you are, please listen to me. If you've heard nothing to this point, start listening right now. God desires everyone to be saved. Everyone. Sincerity alone does not save, okay? Saul actually believed he was righteous, yet he could not have been more wrong. All of his good deeds and his careful law-abiding amounted to nothing. And if you're counting on that, I'm sorry to say that you're going to miss out on salvation if you were to die this afternoon. Saul was sincerely wrong about Jesus and the way of salvation, like many people are today. When people say today it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, we have to very, very politely object to that way of thinking, okay? It does matter what you believe. It does matter. Jesus says, I am the one way, the one truth, the one life. You must put faith in Christ alone in order to receive salvation. And just like Saul, no one is good enough that they can be saved on their own merit. I don't care how good you think you are, you're going to fall short. Paul would say later on, everyone falls short of the glory of God. And also just like Saul, murderer, threat, giving, taker to prison, persons that believe in Jesus, no one is bad enough that they are beyond God's grace to be saved. No one. If you've been in here today counting up all the things that you've done on a list saying there's no way he would forgive me all these things, trust me, you're in good, you're in good company. We've all done that before. Man, I've thought about my past sins. There's a long list of them. And, 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 and I'm one of those people that, that would really like um, feel guilty and think that I was unworthy. Have you ever felt unworthy, guilty, not deserving of this love that, that Sidney preaches about every week? For me, because I was, grew up in the church, it, it wasn't even so much about the, the specific sins that I knew were wrong. It was about my heart when I did them. Because I knew that I was going against God and his ways. I wasn't one of those people who was ignorant about the ways of the Lord. And I would choose every time. I knew I was choosing to go against him when I would sin. So I would more hated my heart than I even did the specific. I knew the stories of King David and, and even Saul and whoever in the Bible. I knew Jesus could forgive the, the, the thief on the cross. I knew he could forgive these specific sins. But I hated my heart because... It wasn't so much the specific sins, it was that I was choosing those sins over him every time I did it. And so I felt guilty and unworthy. 
And it wasn't until I understood that that sin of my motives behind my specific sins was also forgiven that I understood the freedom and all the grace that God had given me, which makes me feel so um, grateful because I understand what he saved me from. Are you with me? There was this, um, there was this song that, that Ainsley and some of her friends that danced, danced to a couple of years ago. And, and, I, and I think it, I just think it's great. It's called clean. See, I always felt when I would think about those things and, and my motives and my heart that I hated, I would feel dirty. And, and I would even sometimes, even as a Christian, if Satan would begin to make me feel that shame and guilt, which is supposed to be wiped away, by the way, when Satan would make me feel that and I would come into church on Sundays, I would feel like I wouldn't be really good enough to sing songs even. Have you ever felt like that? Like, man, I see what that's saying on the screen up there, and, and I'm trying to not remember my past, but it makes me feel like I can't really sing that because of my past. And I hated that. But man, God washes all that away. I love this, the words of this song. It was called Clean, um, Natalie Grant's song. It said, I see shattered, but you see whole. I see broken, but you see beautiful. And you're helping me to believe you're restoring me piece by piece. There's nothing too dirty that you can't make worthy. You wash me in mercy. I am clean. And of course, the gospel, it says in the bridge, it says, washed in the blood of your sacrifice, your blood flowed red and made me white. My dirty rags are purified. I am clean. Sinner, if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, he can make you completely clean, white as snow, takes all the way, all the guilt, all your sin. He takes it all away, washes it away on Calvary. His blood shed takes care of every single piece of it. All you got to do is open the door, basically. Scripture says just open the door and let him in. He's calling you by name. He knows you. He created you. He knows everything about you. He knows where you've been, where you're going. He knows what street you're on, what building you're in. What's going on in your heart right now? All you got to do is open the door and say, yes, Lord, I'm ready. That's it. Yes, Lord, I'm ready. He does the work. He does all the cleaning. There's not anything in Scripture that says you got to do something first or you got to, like, get rid of this sin first or you got to make this commitment first. All you got to do is say, yes, Lord, I'm ready. Open the door and then allow him to start doing this work in you. Let today be the day. Let, to be, let today be the day you make the decision and then get baptized. Or get baptized next Sunday. I don't care, but make that decision and then begin following in the ways of Christ. This is life. This is life everlasting. And then receive his call to be on mission, to take what you've received, that grace of God, and then give it to other people around you. Are you with me? Can we pray? Father, if you're working in people's life right now, I pray that they would make the decision to open the door and let you in. I pray, Father, that they would come and they would talk to me, talk to Sid or Melvin or anybody that's overseers or up here or their friend and just say, I'm deciding today to let Jesus in. I want to put all my past aside. I want to join this team over here where we go then out and we share the gospel message with all those around us. Father, for those of us who are believers and to this point we've trusted in you, we've given you our faith, but we've not joined the team in sharing the mission. The mission. 
I pray that they would commit today to being on mission for you, being a great commission Christian, someone who would go and share the gospel, make disciples, baptize them, and then teach them all the things about Jesus. Help us to be here at Heritage Community Church, a great commission church, Lord Jesus. You are powerful, we are not. You are God, we are absolutely not. We trust in you and we thank you for grace. Thank you for washing us clean, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Today, seriously, come and find somebody. Go out, be a great commission church this week.